0: One of my uh, late professors, uh, David M. Gordon, uh, he wrote an article, the 5% unemployment ain't natural, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, because the very word natural, I know I used, uh, Warren Mosler and I used natural rate Mm -hmm. of uh, interest, but that is kind of tongue in cheek, and you oh. know, we don't need to. It, it, it only in the. It, it doesn't really mean natural in a, let's say, uh, natural law philosophy sense, right? Like, kind of given by God. <laughs> but when people hear natural since the late 90s, when the uh, official rate got below 4% and there was no inflation to speak of, right? Then people started saying, listen, let's see how far down we can go.
1: Welcome to Activist NMT, a podcast about nonviolent NMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning NMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. This is part two of my five-part conversation with one of the original developers of MMT, Matthew Forstadter. Matt is a professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, or UMKC, which according to Sam Levy, who is my first ever guest and also a UMKC economics PhD student, is where MMT was born. Matt is also Research Director for the Global Institute for Sustainable Prosperity and Research Associate for the Levy Economics Institute at Bard College. Today, Matt starts by describing the difficulties endured by women and people of color throughout the economics discipline, whether heterodox or mainstream. We spend the bulk of our time, however, discussing the sad reality of unemployment statistics in the United States. This begins with the overly rosy and highly unrealistic U3 measurement by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, or BLS. The less unrealistic measurement by the BLS is called U6. I wouldn't go as far as calling it better, but it is less bad. What both leave out is the millions upon millions of Americans who simply do not exist as far as those statistics are concerned. Not only are they not counted in the report, This flaw is not even recognized or acknowledged as a flaw. The non-acknowledgement is perpetuated by media, the general public, and finally, lawmakers. As Matt describes in his chapter in the 2013 Encyclopedia of Race and Racism called Unemployment and Underemployment, those who are disappeared from the employment statistics include among others, the homeless and phoneless simply because the survey is conducted by phone. Further, because of the realities of our society, including de facto racism and slavery, such as the war on drugs and the 13th Amendment, black Americans are much more likely to end up in prison. This is because, since our federal representatives do not prevent mass suffering, even though they clearly could, many citizens choose to enter the military because it provides good pay and benefits in exchange for the risk of being blown up. Of course, those who enter the military or are put in jail are usually among the most disadvantaged in society. In other words, these millions don't just magically disappear from the labor pool, they are actively pushed out
0: you know, several of my professors like John Eatwell, Pierre Gagnani, and Edward Nell, uh, Anwar Sheikh, uh, with the humbug production function. Uh, You can look it up like in the New Calgary Dictionary of Economics. They'll have an entry on the humbug production function where he shows that it's the laws of mathematics and not the laws of economics that get you the empirical fit. And so to do this, he spells out the word humbug and uses that the data point and feeds it into the neoclassic production function and it Yep. So in any case, these are people who, so it only intervention got his first paper published uh, when he was uh, criticizing Robert Solo, you know, uh, Samuelson's colleague in MIT, and Joan Robinson had to intervene, and that was only to get it published as a note, not as a full-blown article. So the uh, and look, economics is also completely terrible on uh, issues of race and gender. I don't know if you saw the uh, survey results from the last Meetings. There was a New York Times article. It focused more on the gender, but it's absolutely also very true of race as well. So I had this. Well, was this the New York Times article about? About the survey of economists, women, and people of color talking about their experiences. Awful in as, economics department. As
1: economists. Okay.
0: Yes. Okay. They're professors and they're colleagues. And, I mean, listen, I had a colleague who was female but completely mainstream uh, tell me about her experience as a member of, like, the 1950s generation Going to graduate school in economics. So, you know, in any graduate school setting, if kids get together and share notes or study together and tell about the test they took or give advice to each other, and they, you know, exclude. The one woman or the one African-American, you know, like in the old days, you know, like, I mean, it hasn't gotten much better for, uh, I mean, African-Americans in economics. We're very fortunate to have, you know, people like uh, William A. Darity Jr., Sandy Darity, and uh, in our department, we have uh, Linwood Tawhid, who is... The president of the uh, National Economic Association, which is is kind of like the black, uh, it it developed out of what was originally the Black Economics uh, Coalition. I I talk about it in my article on uh, Fired Rustin a little bit, because the original editor of the review of black political Wait wrote, order, you said it, you, you wrote this an article on what? Uh Bayard Rustin. Bayard
1: Rustin, okay
0: the organizer of the nineteen sixty three march on Washington for jobs and freedom. Hmm. So uh, I have um an article you can see it's a Levy working paper. I think it's called, uh, it's on the freedom budget. The A. Philip Randolph Institute and Bayard Rustin, uh, they were going for the job guarantee, you know, I mean, all the way. And I, I, I mean, every major African American organization and, Leader, certainly up through the, uh, Hawkins, Humphrey Hawkins 1978 Employment and Balanced Growth Act. Uh, Augustus Hawkins was a member of the Congressional Black Caucus and had originally included a job guarantee in the early versions of the Humphrey-Hawkins bill, and just like in 1946, this might be a good segue into your other topic about unemployment and the mm-hmm. legal definitions of full employment and so on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was a, a Movement following the Second World War in the industrialized countries to put out these full employment white papers or whatever. Uh, or, or in the United States, it was also in the relatively late creation of the Central Bank of the United States compared to, you know, the Bank of England or um, in many other countries, right? Uh, 1913, when the Fed was created, and then, you know, its mandate um, that was also part of um, what created the Council of Economic Advisors and that they would produce an annual report. Uh, it's always interesting to, you know, read. Includes a lot of stats, but then also the economics, right? So, what, what I was beginning to say is, The funny thing about economics is, like, in the 60s, there was a rise of, like, um, Journal of Black Psychology, Journal of Black Sociology, and so on. The, The one that's still around is the Review of Black Political Economy. And there's also a review of African political economy as well. But, I mean, uh, I couldn't say for sure, and certainly there uh, are many books in black psychology and so on, but the in economics, the review of black political economy is, is uh, they celebrated, they're beyond their 50th anniversary, uh, and then the same thing with the Buddhist economics, like, I mean, I never really heard of Buddhist sociology, Buddhist anthropology, but there's a Buddhist economics, not that I made up that, hmm. you know, the E.F. Schumacher wrote an article and then there's a little field of Buddhist economics, whatever it is, but there is something you can call Buddhist economics, even if it's not completely uh, agreed on or whatever. So, yeah, it's kind of funny in that way. But getting back to unemployment in the in England, there was uh, uh, sir William yeah. Beveridge. I don't know if you ever ran across this name. I've heard but, of that name. Uh, there was the Beveridge he, he wrote at least two major books on full employment in the, during the Great Depression and stuff. And uh Bill Mitchell, for uh, example, refers to the beverage definition often. Uh, or, or I should say um, Bill Vickery. Uh, William Vickery referred to the beverage definition. And it, the beverage definition of full employment is that there are more vacancies than job seekers. Right. Right?
1: Vickery calls it
0: chocolate full uh, employment. Right. Right. He, he, yeah, I mean, he had this idea of 2% or less, you know, so-called transitional unemployment. So it's interesting. I don't know if uh, maybe at some point, we could get, there's, there's a couple of my uh, doctoral students have been doing some, uh, I consider it path breaking work related to uh, measuring and defining unemployment. Uh, really? Because this started before the current Situation before the coronavirus, uh, you know, uh, and so on. So when we were having these low official numbers of, you know, so you'd have, you know, the official overall, of course, for certain demographic groups, it goes without saying uh, the black unemployment rate is, you know, always double the white and. So on, but uh for the overall unemployment rate to be you know three point whatever it was uh, before it became thirty five percent you know uh, so the question that um, these doctoral students asked is, okay, if the Bureau of Labor Statistics comes out. In February and says that the overall unemployment rate is unchanged from last month, it's, you know, 3.5%. It's still 3.5%. It's not the same people who make up that 3.5%. Right? They've left the labor force. And what they... The the traditional idea, uh, you know, because the way that they, um, you know, the official unemployment rate uh, is the number of those who are counted as officially unemployed and to be counted as officially unemployed, you have to... Uh, be actively seeking work in the previous four weeks from the survey. Right. Uh, you know, and if you have been, and you know, actively seeking work means uh, that you responded to a one ad or you uh, went to a employment agency or the equivalent of those things, not that I'm keeping my ears open, right? You have to have done something to look for a job in the previous four weeks, then if you are not working and you're actively seeking work in the previous four weeks, then you are counted as officially unemployed and as part of the labor force. Right. If you stopped looking four weeks and one day ago or, you know, whatever, then you are not counted as officially unemployed, even if you say you need to be working and would take a job if one became available. Uh, but if you have not w- looked, and let, then you are put into this other category discouraged workers and uh, are not counted as being any longer part of the labor force. You're a labor force dropout. "Quote unquote," right?
1: Right, and there's so multiple levels the official, of that. There's, there's, there's right. I would say probably three or four levels of that. Correct. That people disappear to a deeper level.
0: Right, and even the BLS, the official rate, is I think U three, maybe, and there is U six, which is the broadest measure. And that includes the part-time for economic reasons, which used to be called involuntary part-time, because Mm -hmm. in the interview, when they ask, are you working, that if you say yes, whether that's part-time or full-time, you're counted as employed and part of the labor force.
1: Right, and I understand. I believe it. this is something to the effect of that the Bureau of Labor Statistics depends on the Census Bureau for the survey, and that survey only filters in very limited information. So it's like they, only, they can only work with what they're given. And I'm sure that there's – I'm sure that they could improve that survey, but it, it's – Right. Cool.
0: Yeah. So our goal, if we can get the funding, is to do our own survey. So, mm. I mean, I, when I was at the Levy Institute, two of the others who were working there, uh, they did a survey. Uh, it's very, it's not easy to do a survey. Uh, right, correctly, you know, like, uh, so that you get uh, data that you can use. And, you know, I should say that good econometricians, you know, will often say that it is the the lack of quality data. Like, right. say, in certain countries where they have less... Um, resources to allocate towards that or whatever you know or when people intentionally make up stuff to uh for political purposes or you know whatever so the denominator is the labor force so it's the number of officially unemployed divided by the labor force the that's the official rate so the the broadest rate will add the discouraged workers and other so called marginally attached workers. I mean there's all kinds of crazy categories. For example, people without adequate transportation, right. like you know, mothers without adequate and affordable child care. Right. That for some reason, if someone if someone says they want and need to be working, would take a job if one became available. You would think if they can't find a job, you know, right? Then they're unemployed. But if uh, part time, because they can't find full time work, it's not. How I mean, you if you're working. You know uh 20 hours and you want to be working 40 hours even if you're you know not qualifying for benefits because they only give benefits to the full-timers you are not can't count it as being half unemployed you know yeah
1: and it's it's even if you could do a perfect survey like you said you're you're you know if you had the funding you would do a survey you would still, even if that survey was as good as it could possibly be, you're still going to not count. You're still not going to be able to reach homeless people, phoneless, phoneless people, right. jail people, in right. jail people, in the military. You're still, even if you could do that perfectly, it's still going to be. You know, there, there's there's U3 which is official, which is very very rosy, overly rosy. There's U6 which is yes. which is a lot better, but it's still. It's still missing uh, quite a lot. There's uh, a third level which uh, Randy Ray calls uh, has something called augmented unemployment, which I, I don't exactly know what it includes beyond that. But that's that's even better. Um, but then, but then still, there's homeless, phoneless, military, and incarcerated, and I'm sure that there's other things uh, as well. So it's like, you know, <laughs> there's only so much you can do, and, and there there are
0: uh, look, statistics. You still. To, to use them with some degree of confidence, you want the data to be as good as possible. However, I mean, m- people who are really smart and understand statistics understand that, you know, numbers don't speak for themselves. They have to be interpreted. And that also, like you were saying, you know, I mean, it's a snapshot. So, you know, the w- real world doesn't stop moving. However, they do a monthly survey. It's not like I don't want your listeners to think that the census is every ten years and they're, you know, using the same, you know, data for a decade. Uh, they do a monthly survey, and. I, I always thought the BLS did that survey, but uh, uh, I could be wrong.
1: I saw just an article saying that they somehow use the census, but uh, I'll send you I'll send you that to, to clarify. But
0: um, by the way, um, let me just mention while we're on this topic that uh, I often encourage my undergraduate students if they have a question to call up the BLS because. Mm. Um, I did it when I was, you know, a student and I had, the people were really very, very, in fact, I was able to, I don't know if you uh, saw, but I, I had a uh, encyclopedia entry in the encyclopedia of race and racism or. Underemployment and unemployment. That's. that's rate. Yeah. Yeah, we had to get the data. You know, it wasn't data that the BLS was putting out. They don't uh, tell you the marginalization rate by uh, demographic breakdown to the point where we wanted it, race and gender. Yeah,
1: um, and uh, two things though. One is. they could even if you can't get homeless and phoneless and incarcerated and whatever, even if you can't get those, you know, in, in your, in your article in the, encycl- in the uh, uh, encyclopedia of race and yeah. racism, you know, you obviously you talk about incarcerated and homeless and that's the whole point of that article. Um, and then, you know, Randy Ray in his, uh, he has an article called "Are you know, full employment. Are we there yet from a couple of years ago?
0: Right. And, right. and,
1: and you know, and even though you can't get them, even though you can't reach these people, you know you guys mention that these are out there, and so you know these statistics are missing these things, and we acknowledge that these statistics are missing homeless and phoneless and incarcerated and so on. But in the official statistics, you never hear that. You never hear that. It is implied. It is strongly suggested that this is everything. This this uh, this U3 is what employment actually is. And people treat it that way. You know, we're at the highest, un- we're, we're the lowest unemployment that we've had in years. You know, economy is doing great. Trump is doing great, and it's. I think it's partially because they leave that out. And I also think, and I guess it's, I guess it's kind of obvious, but it's also just, you know, I can't like prove it. It's that if they really believed in their policy of, for example, of Nehru if they really believed in their natural unemployment, then they wouldn't be afraid of the full truth of what actual current unemployment is. And the fact that unemployment is so difficult to understand because they make it because U3 is not a clear picture, U6 is clearer, but still not that clear. You know, the fact that they don't really give a full picture to me that shows that they're not they're not confident in a good faith way that Nehru is truly accurate and that they simply want people to be unemployed that's how it seems to me
0: right i don't disagree with anything that you said what i would say is that while there are many common misunderstandings and myths, right? The deficit myth and so on. Many uh, common misunderstandings. The ones that are the most dangerous in a sense are that, number one, people do not understand that you're only counted as officially unemployed if you were, quote-unquote, searching in the previous four weeks. That right. someone who, like when I tell my students every semester, uh, the intro macroeconomic students, they are shocked. I mean, because, you know, you and students are not, you know, this is not, we're not a rich kid's college. You know, I mean, (laughs) these kids actually, unlike my students at Gettysburg or even Bard College, which is very progressive, but still the, you know, average family income or whatever. But UMKC is really a a urban commuter school. Um, And it's much more uh, socioeconomically diverse than, Uh, the other places where I taught, but, uh, and then the other thing is many students think that if you get laid off and it wasn't for, you know, doing something wrong, you get unemployment insurance and that the unemployment insurance is the same amount as what you were earning, and not a fraction of that, which is what the truth is. Mm-hmm. And they think everyone qualifies, which is not true. Um, and of course, we know they had to make a special dispensation for you know uh, the you know the subcontractors and so on for this. But then and that it lasts until you find another job, you know, which of course is also not true. It's limited in time. And these details, right. uh, In some ways are more important. They could, you know, homeless, they know, they know that, you know, okay. And even like things like you mentioned, the uh, civilian, Uh, population versus, you know, when you have the military or the uh, incarcerated. I mean, those numbers you can, you can also find out, you know, like, right. Um, But yeah, everything you said is not uh, untrue. Part of it was, so when they came up with this idea of the natural rate of unemployment and, related to it uh the Nehru uh, the natural rate kept going up. So, you know, right. at first in the sixties, Friedman and Phelps, they were saying, well the natural rate is, you know, I don't know, three percent say. That that would be the rate that if you went below that you would start to see accelerating inflation right cool. uh, but then <laughs> it went up to 7%
1: right and magically and that, the actual unemployment rate exactly matched what they wanted it to be
0: right one of my uh late professors uh David M Gordon uh, he wrote an article, the 5% unemployment ain't natural, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, because the very word natural, I know I used, uh, Warren Mosler and I used natural rate mm. of uh, interest, but that is kind of tongue in cheek and uh. you know, we don't need to, it, it, it only in the, It it doesn't really mean natural in a, let's say, uh, natural law philosophy sense, right? Like kind of given by God. (laughs) But when people hear natural since the late 90s, when the uh, official rate got below 4% and there was no inflation to speak of, right? Then people started saying, hey, "Listen, let's see how far down we could go." You know, uh, I mean, this is the official rate we're talking about. It's limits, but yeah, maybe uh, maybe the reason that they can go so low on the official rate is because so many people aren't included,
1: right? And and not just so many people aren't included; they also like. Like, for example, de facto slavery, that the uh, 13th Amendment makes it so much easier for, and war on drugs makes it so much easier right. for black people to end up in jail. It's like they're pushed out of, they're not just, you know, it's not just a coincidence that they end up in jail and therefore not part of the unemployment statistics. And the fact that people are made desperate and so they choose to go into the military because the military provides. You know, uh, a decent living, setting aside the fact that you could be blown to smithereens. So they're pushed into the military, and then th- then you disappear. And like I, I realized I was having a hard time understanding in your in your unemployment and underemployment paper, of that if it's if someone disappears from both the numerator and the denominator, how is that skewed in any way? And that and I realized after reading it again, I realized the point is not. The bias is not the fact that they're eliminated from both the top and the bottom. The bias is that the movement from being, so like say, 90 over 100, changes not from not from 90 uh, 89 over 100. It changes from 89 over uh, whatever. You understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not saying
0: it elegantly, but the fact let that let say it in a way that it almost anybody can understand because when i tell the kids you know unfortunately you know uh, math education is not so uh, great but uh, you know when i tell the kids uh, you know you are taken out of both the numerator and the denominator the you know the uh it doesn't matter whether they're counted as it, it matters but uh, what I what I put up on the board is three fourths does not equal one half because right. subtract one from the numerator and the denominator of three fourths. Right. Or, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, what did I say? Two thirds. You know, two thirds and one half. Oh. <laughs> uh, three fourths and you know, two thirds and one half. So two thirds. Is not equal to one half, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, right, right. So, so it's, it's uh, so it right. So
1: it's two. So it's two over three. Two people employed, three people in the labor force. So that's 0.67, You know, then one person leaves. That would be that would be one over three, which would be thirty three percent. But if you change it to one over two, then it's fifty percent. So all of a cool. sudden, the fact that they left the labor force inflates in that, in that simplistic example, inflates the unemployment, inflates it by 20%, which is, and that's, that was what I was trying to get across. It's 70 over 100, and then one person leaves, 69 over 100 is 69%, but if they also leave the labor force, then it's 69 over 99, which is almost 70%, so it, and for every single person that leaves the labor force, that inflates it a little
0: bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, just like you were saying. Right. Correct. Right. right. Yeah. True, okay. true, 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 true. All right. That's uh, yeah. Now, I think I'm going to run into a little bit of an issue, which is that my AirPods are going to run out of uh, charge.
1: Um, okay.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. Listen, uh, I maybe we, can we do this in two parts or something or
1: I you know what I I, I love the fact that you have just been going on I, I I because your perspective of things is much you know broader than mine uh, I have a ton of questions that I have not gotten to um
0: right um so uh, listen I'm I'm enjoying having the conversation with you uh, and it feels really comfortable I would like to- to you know give you some real substance that you can use
1: I, I would love to do that okay. um but before we get off now would would you mind if yeah. I just ask a couple of specific questions that are sort yeah. of not as right. broad and th- and then we can Go continue ahead. okay all right yep. good i have a few nagging questions um, right. number 1 if you i i, I have a uh, I have a friend who is a member of Black Lives Matter and who I've been trying to push to learn m m t you know and the response right. that i the response that I've gotten is that they're very hesitant to do so because they want to destroy capitalism, and that's I see that as perfectly fine i you know I don't see anything wrong with that you know i that's perfectly fine right. point of view however, two thoughts of this number one is your last paragraph in your unemployment and underemployment uh, article states something yeah. to the effect of, you know, maybe in a post-capitalist world we can have whatever better stuff, we can have a better setup, but until that point, let's fight for a job guarantee. And so I'm trying to, trying to get that idea across to them, but the fact that they don't really understand MMT yet, they don't understand the power of a job guarantee. So uh, my thoughts are, number one, I think it's important to learn even if you want to destroy capitalism because if you really want to destroy the beast, you need to understand the beast. That's number one. And number two is that while you're doing that, let us fight for a job guarantee. And so someone who is hesitant to learn m m t for those reasons of how you might respond to that.
0: Right. Well, in the near term, the... Institutions of our society are more inflexible. I mean, generally speaking, uh, the political system and economic system in the near term is given. We're born into this world, right? And so... Anything that will lessen human suffering, I think has to be supported. And unemployment is a major cause of human suffering. Now, the problem, I think, that some people feel that an exclusive focus on the near term will never then will never get to the longer term. Yeah. Okay. It's so a balance. It's a balance. There has to be people who are also working on those alternatives. And okay. yeah, like you say, and of course I hope it goes without saying I don't speak for Black Lives Matter and so on and so forth. But uh, to me, the when I said every major African American uh, organization and leader, you know, from 1946 to 1978 and even beyond was for explicitly a job guarantee. Uh-huh. That is. Across a political spectrum, I mean, you have, you know, the Urban League and um, organizations that are, you know, certainly not looking to overthrow the system or anything, but the Black Panther Party 10-point message, I mean, Mm. it's right in there. And, uh, of course, you know, many of the leaders of the civil rights movement because they understood that political rights, civil rights was a first step, but without the economic piece, then, you know, it would just, right. it would work. It's like the Civil so, Rights Act.
1: It's like the Civil Rights Act, uh, That you know, it, it outlawed racism, but it didn't do anything that caused racism. It didn't change anything that actually caused racism. Um, uh, I believe that that's true, but you would agree, you would agree that as far as implementing a job guarantee and also destroying capitalism, if that happens to be your goal, that learning an MT is a very worthwhile thing towards both of those goals.
0: Yes. And, and, you know, contrary to uh, how, were sometimes unfairly depicted. Um, I don't think it took us very long to all be for a living wage. I mean, uh, for example. You know, but whether that has to be phased in because it would be less disruptive or, you know, whatever. But there has to be, certainly, um, you have your... You know, you have places where you, you won't uh, throw your support just because they're going to call it a job guarantee when they're really talking about, you know, the concentration camps or something, yeah. you know. I mean, right, yeah, sure,
1: sure. This actually brings in my final question, which I think is simpler. Um, the job guarantee has a price anchor, number one, and well, you know, ideally, whatever uh, a livable wage and benefits. Yeah. So the price right. anchor is the price anchor prevents cost push inflation, and then on the other side, it prevents demand pull inflation because it only funds those who apply for a job. So it's 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 perfect. It, the funding is, is perfect by definition because it only funds those who apply for a job. So those two things prevent inflation. My question is and i and i I have a feeling that this is going to be relatively simple for an, for you to answer so it, it prevents demand pull inflation it prevents cost push inflation so that implies that the demand that is caused by the new wages and the supply the production that is caused by the new jobs are perfectly matched so the the production that Is created by the new jobs in both the job guarantee and the private sector is exactly matched by the new demand that is created by the new wages that these people these newly employed people are paid my question is I don't understand how how do we know that that particular production is going to be met by that particular demand because those those are like two independent things of giving people jobs right. where they happen to be producing stuff and then giving people wages because that's necessary in order to prevent inflation, that what people want to buy is being produced and what being, what is being produced is being purchased such that it does not cause inflation or problems.
0: Well, I don't believe that the demand and supply uh, increase as a result of a job guarantee is automatically perfectly matched. It, it, it can't be. And what's going to happen is, and we saw this in Argentina where there was, you know, not a full, but it was ahead head of house, one person per household right. job guarantee for a right. limited time. Mm-hmm. So, um, Uh, At first, the program was huge, as they say, right? But then, as the economy recovered, the private sector demand for labor increased, and so people were hired out of the uh, community jobs program into the private sector, and the program shrank and then stabilized at some lower Level right okay yep. and then at that point the job guarantee production is community and public and social services oh, that interesting okay we consider to be in short supply. I mean, look, there are some interesting examples, like say, um, early in the um, earlier years of the Great Depression in some of the alphabet agencies Nancy Rose's uh, book uh, put to work is very good Phil Harvey you know these are people not uh, really into the finance money side of MMT they have done like history of job guarantee programs and stuff and big supporters mm-hmm. of job guarantee uh, mm-hmm. but um not functional finance or necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they talk about how you did have some like food production or energy production, you know, and things like that. But there's there's no mechanism for matching specific demands and supplies that I know of. Yeah, no, but actually, you know, you actually
1: might, listening to what you said, though, I think actually makes sense. What it seems, first of all, if the private sector hires someone, then they have chosen to hire someone. There's a reason that they have hired them because they need to produce more. So that's not a question. The private sector production is is obviously matched by demand because by the very nature of the private sector hiring someone, they are choosing to fulfill some demands that currently can't be fulfilled. So the private sector... Matches demand, but not
0: necessarily their own demand.
1: Their own demand for labor? For what? So uh,
0: if I was unemployed and then I get hired to do a job in the private sector and now I'm earning an income, right? But maybe I'm working in the porn industry (laughs) and maybe I'm going to (laughs) be. I'm going to be spending, uh, you know, my money. No, of course I, 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 I. I'm just trying to say like something <laughs> that I wouldn't be demanding, right? Um, with my wages, you know, like um, I'm not spending my money on that. I'm spending my money on food and on rent, and so yeah. I mean, in the aggregate, demands and supplies are matching up, but not. Necessary, and so you know you're always going to have like um, some you know dynamics of in inter industry relations, and that's you know actually what I was trying to get at in that those original pub, uh, flexibility you know articles.
1: Right, right, that, right,
0: right. Um, yeah, about that. So, yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's okay, that's buddy. Clear. So the question is, the question is much more limited because it's now a job guarantee question, not a. All right. All right. Thank you. Enjoy your night. Thank you so much for your time. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. Bye. All right. Yeah, bye. The music for this show is by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape-A-Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus, then transferring those timestamps to my windows desktop at that point i crudely process the audio in audacity and then implement the edits and do all of the final processing in the reaper digital audio workstation activist mmt is hosted by libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online headliner app Today is part two of my five-part conversation with one of the original developers of MMT, Matthew Forstadter. Matt is a professor of economics at the University of Missouri Kansas City, or UMKC, which according to Sam Levy, who is my first ever guest, and also a UMKC economics PhD student, is where MMT was born. Matt is also Research Director for the Global Institute for Sustainable Prosperity and Research Associate for the Levy Economics Institute at Bard College. Today Matt starts by describing the difficulties endured by women and people of color throughout the economics discipline, whether heterodox or mainstream. We spend the bulk of our time, however, discussing the sad reality of unemployment statistics in the United States. This begins with the overly rosy and highly unrealistic U3 measurement by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, or BLS. The less unrealistic measurement by the BLS is called U6. I wouldn't go as far as calling it better, but it is less bad. What both leave out is the millions upon millions of Americans who simply do not exist as far as those statistics are concerned. Not only are they not counted in the report, This flaw is not even recognized or acknowledged as a flaw. The non-acknowledgement is perpetuated by media, the general public, and finally, lawmakers. As Matt describes in his chapter in the 2013 Encyclopedia of Race and Racism, called Unemployment and Underemployment, those who are disappeared from the employment statistics include, among others, the homeless and phoneless, simply because the survey is conducted by phone. Further, because of the realities of our society, including de facto racism and slavery, such as the war on drugs and the 13th Amendment, black Americans are much more likely to end up in prison. This is because, since our federal representatives do not prevent mass suffering, even though they clearly could, many citizens choose to enter the military because it provides good pay and benefits, in exchange for the risk of being blown up. Of course, those who enter the military or are put in jail are usually among the most disadvantaged in society. In other words, these millions don't just magically disappear from the labor pool, they are actively pushed out.